0: Have you ever felt trapped in a high-paying job, chained to a life that's slowly slipping away? Day after day, the same routine, the same unfulfilling work, and the constant longing for something more? If you're nodding your head right now, feeling that weight on your shoulders, then this is the podcast you've been waiting for. Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show. I'm Brian O'Neill, and I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. I've been in that prison too, sacrificing precious moments with my family, feeling the regret and resentment build up inside. But guess what? There is a way out and together we're going to break free. Each episode, we'll dive deep into the stories of incredible individuals who have successfully made their escape who have turned their dreams into reality, and who now live lives filled with purpose, joy, and abundance. But we won't stop at inspiration alone. We'll equip you with the tools, strategies, and mindset shifts needed to break through the barriers that have held you back for far too long. Together, we'll ignite your entrepreneurial spirit and unleash the business genius within you. It's time to take action, to shatter the chains that bind you, and to embrace a future filled with unlimited possibilities. The W-2 Prison Break Show is your key to unlock the door to a life of purpose, fulfillment, and success. I invite you to join me on this transformative journey. Subscribe now to the W-2 Prison Break Show, and let's embark together on the path to freedom. Remember, it's never too late to break free and live the life you've always dreamed of. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever thought of starting your own multifamily business but didn't know where to get started and you used not having enough time, not having enough money, not having enough skill as excuses to hold you back? If you answered yes to any of those questions, this is definitely the episode that you've been waiting for. Today, I brought on Ed Matthews. And Ed owns a multifamily business. He's got a bunch of properties, but it wasn't always that way. He spent 24 years in a W-2 working for Silicon Valley startups, traveling like me. He traveled 150 to 200 nights a year. And you're going to hear why he started and bought his first multifamily business. Unit and what it's turned into today. You're going to get a ton of resources and knowledge and different ways that you can overcome your fear and understand that this is something you are totally capable of. So, without further delay, let's get right to the show. Ed, welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show. I'm looking forward Thank to you. chatting with
1: you. Yeah, right. likewise. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. And we were chatting a little bit offline. You know, it's just interesting how this stuff works. You know, we met through a a mutual friend. We both have podcasts. We have similar stories. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. And I think it's super important. I mean, this is the W2 Prison Break Show, and we want to hear your story because, you know, you're doing some cool stuff now. You own your own business. But as I think you said, you didn't start off on third base.
1: No, no, no. I did not. I was firmly planted at home. I had to work my way all around the base path.
0: Yeah, so maybe just give us a little bit of background as to your W2 and what sure. and how long and what ultimately got you out of that.
1: So the short version of a really long story is that, you know, when I was growing up I was taught that, you know, a W2 was the safe and conservative way to, you know, create a life and support your family and all that and so I did all the things I was supposed to do. I, you know, went to school and got you know, a degree and and went off into the technology world and worked for the better part of, wow, gosh, 24, almost 25 years working for Silicon Valley companies and consulting firms and whatnot. Had a blast doing it. My biggest challenge, kind of my moment where I went, oh, wait a minute, this isn't what I really wanted to do was when we had kids. And, you know, the fact is, is that my wife, Patricia, is unbelievably supportive. And, you know, wanted to, you know, she had her own very successful career. And, you know, when we decided to have kids, you know, it kind of clarified exactly where I was spending my time. And frankly, it, you know, you do your best, right? But I was traveling, you know, when I see circa 2015, 16, 17, going into 18, you know, I was traveling 150 to 200 nights a year. I was gone. And it was a, Common occurrence in the Matthews household, where you know Friday night at dinner, I'd be reintroducing myself to my kids, and it sounds a little bit hyperbolic, but it's really not. I mean, the fact is, is that they were creating their own life with their mom, and you know, I was off doing a lot of different things that were very interesting. But it's impossible to have an impact on your child, you know, your children's lives from a courtyard Marriott somewhere in the world, right? It's just not possible, and so along the way in let's see 2011, I bought our first small multifamily it was a fourplex here in Connecticut and it totally got the bug right you know I had worked in construction when I was in high school, you know swinging a hammer and sweeping up you know, nothing extravagant but I was hooked. day one, I signed that contract and I'm like, this is what I want to do. So the whole idea was, it was never really back in 11, 2011. It wasn't necessarily, hey, this is going to be my future. I'm going to leave corporate America. I would love to tell you that I had a plan and that you know I executed the plan flawlessly and here I am, but that's not what happened. right? What happened was I fell in love with the industry. We would flip a couple houses, take the capital, buy another multi, flip a couple houses, buy another multi, rinse and repeat. Pretty soon, that track coincided with I'm tired of flying all over the world and missing out on, you know, as my wife said, all the good stuff that's going on at home, right? The choral concerts, the swim meets, the softball games, the helping with homework. It's you know, all of that. And it just happened to kind of fall into place. And so end of 2017, I walked in. Well, actually it was a phone call. It was a conversation with my boss. I was set docu-sign at the point, at that point. And I, you know, decided it was time for me to go. And so I gave him 30 days notice. And February 2nd of 2018, I went headfirst into the real estate world, you know, knowing that our rental income had basically surpassed my annual salary. So it was not a huge risk because, you know, obviously we were already well invested into real estate and it was cash flowing well. And, you know, so it just made sense. And, you know, from a personal perspective, one of the best decisions I ever made.
0: Yeah. I was getting chills when you were telling your story about how you were having to reintroduce yourself to your, yeah. to your kids. And, you know, I thought I flew a lot when I was gone a hundred nights a year, hundred thousand miles a year. And you're saying it's up to 200. I couldn't imagine that. And, you know, good on you to recognize that and do something about it too. I think there's a lot of people in your boat or similar to that who are doing the same thing. It's like, you kind of get caught up in that. Like you feel like you have to continue to do this, To provide at the expense of them almost. And that's the way I felt. I felt like I was doing that at the expense of having a relationship. So,
1: absolutely. You know, I mean, the fortunate part is, you know, my wife still likes me a lot and I like her a lot. And my kids, you know, they actually return my phone calls and texts when I send them and they're happy to see me when I walk in the door every night. Well, I mean, they're teenagers. So, only I only get, you know, a couple eye rolls and an eye, but that's about it. That's fine. At least I know that they're paying attention, which is good. (laughs) It's wonderful. You know, the fact is, is that just the simple act of, you know, my younger daughter is, my oldest daughter is in college down in Philly. Mm -hmm. And when she needs a ride home, because she's got stuff or whatever, there's no phone call to a boss. Hey, I need to take the afternoon off. It's just, okay, I'll see you Thursday afternoon. And we arrange my schedule and then I go. And, you know, my youngest plays travel softball. We were talking about that offline. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my daughter is Or maybe five years older than your son, who's also in travel. And, you know, this summer we're going to go to Atlanta and Missouri and Illinois and probably some other places that I'm not remembering. And, you know, the cool part about it is, first off, I don't need permission to go. And second off, I can work anywhere, right? I'm a walking office with my iPhone and my laptop. Yeah. And
0: if I'm hearing you correctly, and I think I am, like that's the stuff that truly matters in terms of when you're your own boss. It's, not it's a that doubt. freedom to not have, like, I just hear it. Like, I don't have to ask anybody, right? Like, just something super empowering about that. Sure, the money's great too, but what you just said is really what I realized, hey, this is why I did it is So I don't, not because of the money, but because of, you know, hey, I only got one shot to watch these kids grow up. I only have one. I'll be damned if I missed it. And I don't have to ask anybody's permission.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you put it that way because that was one of the things that my wife Patricia was talking about was we only get them for 18 years and then they're gone. And you know, they're not out of our lives but they're certainly not living with us, right? They're off to college and then their lives. Yeah. And so there's a finite amount of time and you know, the other thing that you said that I really thought was spot on was you know the fact that money, income, wealth, whatever your goal is, right? For me, it's time freedom. And money is always equal time for me, because if, you know, I had a year's worth of savings in the bank, hypothetically, right? Then, you know, if someone got sick or I need to take care of them, I could walk away from whatever I was doing and be focused. And, you know, the fact that real estate is the vehicle that allows me to do this, it's provided a massive payoff in terms of my ability to manage my time with my family and be wherever I need to be whenever I need to be there. It's great. I love it. Love, it.
0: love to hear it. Okay. Question for you, Ed. Sure. you know, almost a quarter of a century in, in work in W-2. Prior to 2011, had you tried anything else to break free? And yeah, yep. talk about that.
1: So didn't go quite as well, but that's okay. So back in, let's see, 99 into 2000, I was... Building.coms. I was working for a consultancy in Boston mm-hmm. and it was going great. And we had tons of clients and we were, you know, I was managing projects and selling projects and, you know, basically helping really smart and amazing entrepreneurs figure out how to take advantage of the internet opportunity. And then they all lost funding and stopped paying their bills back in what was that, like March of 01. And then it became a lot less fun because I got laid off. And so it was actually that situation. I mean, we went from feast to famine in six months. And you know, as a company. And so, you know, you lose your job in the middle of an economic downturn. And the only thing you know how to do is the thing that isn't working anymore in the marketplace, right? Technology, dot coms, whatever. And so, you know, we started our own firm. And it was me and eventually it was three other partners. And, you know, we were focused on, Basically, we scooped up a bunch of the contracts that had been, you know, lost when that company shut down. And so that sustained us for oh, the better part of three and a half, four years. And then, you know, my grandfather always used to say you learn a lot about people in two very specific situations. One is when there's a pile of money on the table, and the other is when the proverbial stuff hits the fan. And, you know, everybody reverts back to exactly who they are from a character perspective. All facades go away. And, you know, it became clear. I had this mentor who would, you know, first question he would always ask me is when I was sitting down to breakfast and showing him what we were doing and talking about the business plan and all that. He's like, you're having fun. And so for the first three and a half years, it was, yeah, we're doing this and it's cool. And we're helping these people. And then about three and a half years in, I went, nah, not anymore. And he said, we'll get rid of it. And so, you know, we were able to I was able to disconnect and a little bumpy, but it proved to me that I was, again, you're only here for a finite amount of time, so you might as well enjoy it. And so I went back to the software world and had a you know a whole lot more fun for another 7, let's see, 10, 12 years, give or take. And let's see, 04 to, yeah, it was 14 years you know, I wouldn't change those years for anything. I worked for some amazing companies. I met some amazing people. You know, many of them are friends today and, you know, I don't know that I'd trade it, but I wish I had done what I do today about 10 years earlier. Sure. I think
0: everyone says that, right? Sure. Yeah, and it's okay that you didn't and it's okay Fine. that I didn't. For everyone else, it's okay that you didn't, right? You got there.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean... We as human beings are exactly where we belong because we've made the choices and decisions that we've made along the way that have put us on this path that lands us here where you and I sit today, right? It just is.
0: I wish you could just, I can't possibly agree with that anymore than that. I wish you could bottle that up and sell it and people could drink it and understand it because they just don't like it's, you know, because as you know, we're victims a lot of the times like this happened to me or they did yeah. that to me. You know, it's all this stuff. It's like, so ultimately, you got to take responsibility right. for your decisions and your choices. And, you know, right. if you made a couple bad ones, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. You, know, do. you don't have to carry it with you. Right.
1: Yeah. I Mistakes see. are only opportunities to learn. That's all they are. It's all they are. Totally. That's it.
0: I think the important thing about what you just talked about, what you've been talking about is, again, this wasn't an overnight thing for you you've been through it you tried some stuff it didn't work you know you went back and ultimately you landed on real estate and let's talk a lot about that cuz a lot of folks listening to the show want to get into real estate they're in real estate maybe they're trying right. to do a deal you know and they don't have enough time whatever yeah. they don't have money and maybe right. walk through your first deal and how you kind of put that together and then we can you know get right. into some other stuff too cuz i know your i know your first deal is a, is a good one
1: yeah so i read in 2008 friend of mine gave me rich dad, poor dad, and it fundamentally changed my life pretty much three years later. And the reason being is the reason that I, when I meet, you know, aspiring real estate investors today, who I affectionately refer to as the dreamers, you know, the person that stops you at the grocery store and says, Hey, I saw you online. I wish I could do what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. My question is, well, what's stopping you? right. And I, Almost always get one version of this answer, which is I don't know where to find the money. I don't know where to find the deals. I don't have time. Right. All three of those are eminently solvable. And so when I decided that I was going to finally pull the trigger, I met a real estate broker. Her name is Amy Rio, who at that point was running a, you know, five or six agent shop. Now she's, you know, enormously successful, which, you know, good on her. So she would take me around to the various, you know, multifamilies. I wanted to keep it small because I didn't know what I was doing yet. And so we kind of focused on the two to four unit properties and we probably saw 20 different deals. Now it's 2011. It was a target rich environment, right? Everything was on sale and I would find something wrong. Oh, it needs windows. I don't want to handle that. Oh, it needs a roof. Oh, HVAC is a mess. You know, something I find some thing that was wrong. You know, it's a blue house. I only invest in white houses. I mean, just stupid stuff. Right. And so it had to be the 20th or 21st house building that that Amy showed me. And we pulled in, it was a four family on Clark street in East Hartford, Connecticut. And she, you know, we walked through it and it was a foreclosure. The person who bought it, yeah, basically underestimated the rehab, and you know they threw the keys on the counter and walked out. And so I was buying this from a bank, and they were you know halfway done. And so the excuses start to come in. You know, it needs a roof, but it probably doesn't need one for another five years. Well, the good news is there's the HVAC is all brand spanking new. Ah, uh, but the floors, ah, uh, the painting, and ah, uh, and Amy calmly looked at me, and I could see her kind of nosing around in her briefcase. And she took out a piece of paper and she clicked a pen and she put the contract on the hood of my truck. And she gave me the pen and said, I've been patient and I've showed you you know, 20-something properties. This is an excellent deal. It's probably the best deal I've ever shown you. And if you don't buy this and sign that effing contract, I am never speaking to you ever again. And you know, I'm 6'4". She's... Generously five two. I'm a legitimate foot taller than her, and she scared the living daylights out of me. And so, at that very moment, I feared Amy more than I feared the decision and the responsibility. Right. And so, I took the pen and I signed on the dotted line, and I own that property today. I bought that four family for ninety nine thousand bucks. We had to put about mm, twenty three thousand dollars to kind of finish the project. Hmm. I was a little short on cash, so I did a lot of it myself. And like I said, I own that building today and it cash flows wonderfully and it's worth 4X what I bought it for. It. Uh, so, what a great... Thank a you, great, Amy, wherever you are. What a great oh, story. I, just, I, just I
0: was As you were going through the 20, I'm like, I was going to ask, I wrote down, what got you over the hump to finally pull the trigger? And an, then, an then angry he said five
1: it. foot two woman who was going to kill me if I didn't take the advantage of the deal that she had presented me, you know. Yeah.
0: So pivotal moment in your life. So I mean, you had created this doomsday scenario, likely in your head. That's why you didn't right. do the 20. How did that deal go in terms of like did you get to the point where it was like, wow, that wasn't that hard? I made that out way worse in my head.
1: Yes. And it was fast, right? You know, the rehab, the completion of the rehab took sixty days, maybe. Mm -hmm. The financing process couldn't have been easier. The contractors that I hired were outstanding. I had long standing relationships with most of them. So that was good. And that was helpful. Yeah, we got to it. And you know, it took us from a rental perspective. I think we rented all four units within a month of it being ready. And then the cash flow came in. And I sat there like, wow, this wasn't hard at all. What was I doing? And you know, you look back on the other 20 deals, like, man, what? that I have done had I said yes to you know property 6 right and yeah. started there but that's okay but without a doubt and you know the other the next kind of level of growth for me was you know as we were moving towards going full as I was moving towards going full time same motion to buy a four family is the same motion to buy a 10 unit is the same motion to buy a 50 unit and you know that was the next kind of layer of fear of well, holy cow It's not a $99,000 building. This is now a half a million dollars or a million or, you know, multi, right? It's just math. That's all it is. Hey there, back to the episode in just a moment.
0: Are you a homeowner in the Chicagoland area who's struggling to sell your home or even own nothing and looking to maximize your price before the market slides? Are you tired of the traditional home selling process that takes months and costs you thousands in fees and repairs? Whether you're facing foreclosure, going through a divorce, or simply need to sell your home fast, WeBuyHousesChicago.org can help. We've been buying homes in Chicago since 2019, and we specialize in helping sellers who are stuck. Unlike traditional real estate buyers, we buy homes as is and can close in as little as seven days. No repairs, no inspections, and no fees. Just a fast, hassle-free sale. Let WeBuyHousesChicago.org help you sell your home and move on to the next phase of your life. Call or text us today at 312-500-6121. If you know someone who is struggling to sell their home or simply just wants top price, please share this message with them. As a listener of the W2 Prison Break Show, WeBuyHousesChicago.org will pay you for your referral. If you send us a referral and we buy their house, we will pay you a $1,000 referral fee. Simply have your referral mentioned, the W2 Prison Break Show. Let's get back to the show. So how long till you did the second deal after you got the four unit you know, leased up? And what did you do next? What was the timeline for the next deal?
1: So we finished the project. I refinanced it long-term, put it in a 30-year note, took that capital and went and bought a fix and flip. Two weeks later, after the refi, so probably all in three, four months, maybe. Yeah.
0: So the floodgates opened essentially as well. Yeah, and then you couldn't stop saying. me.
1: Then I was, you know, I joke that it's true. I don't really drink, and I definitely don't do drugs. So flipping rapidly became my cocaine. Like I couldn't get enough. It was awesome. I wow. loved finding the deals. I loved, you know, designing the projects and executing on the projects, and I certainly loved selling them. And, you know, I loved every aspect of that whole process. And so that was, you know, that was a blast and I miss it because we don't flip anymore. But you don't. no, we should, but I don't.
0: I love it. What advice would you give? Would you lend Ed to someone who is maybe in a similar situation? Like, cause I looked at deals for a long time before I did anything. It took me seven years to buy my first property. I was doing a lot of the same stuff for you. And Chris was the one who nudged me, right. Who helped yeah. me get over that but well, what would you maybe a thing or two that you would advise that you would lend to someone who's out there looking or acting as if and you know they got the realtor and you know maybe that realtor's not going to say to them hey sign it or I'm out
1: and yeah, most of them would walk away so i think the first thing you can do is if this world is interesting to you go make friends go to networking events go to coaching opportunities go online go on you know any of the hundreds of websites where there are communities you know facebook twitter LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, your local RIA, go hire a coach, something, right? Immerse yourself in the community. Because the other thing that really happens is you start to see yourself in the other people in the room. In other words, the people that you meet are, you know, we're all reading the same book, right? But the people that you meet in that room are five or six chapters ahead. And that's all it is, right? They just did it sooner, and that's really the only difference. And so you can go with and talk with them and meet with them and hopefully break down your level of fear, which is you know basically why most people don't act. And then you know if like for instance we're about to do a development deal here in Connecticut, and it's terrifying. I've never done ground up development in my life. So what did I do? I'm getting a partner who knows it inside and out. You know I'll take 50 percent of a really successful deal any day of the week over 100 percent of a deal that I'm going to mess up. Right. So that is what I would do. I would immerse yourself in the community. I would go make friends. I would then, you know, find a partner and or a mentor who can support you and keep you from doing dumb stuff and help you take advantage of opportunities that come along.
0: Yeah. Such great advice. And I think that, you know, you said, hey, I'm scared to do this ground up thing, right? Like the yeah. fear doesn't go away, folks. Like it's nope. just we have systems and processes that we use to help mitigate that fear. But right. I'm not any Less scared than I was. It's just a different type of fear, and we know how to deal with it. I just wish folks say, "Hey, I'm scared to do that." Instead of, "I don't have time," "I don't have money," "I don't have knowledge." Like all that stuff, as you said, can be solved,
1: right? Easily, right? Very easily. I mean, just time management alone. If you work, I did this with a group a couple of months ago. That you know, the gentleman that was there is like, "Yeah, man, I just," I was like, "All right, who has a time problem?" Somebody raised their hand. I said, "All right, talk me through your life, right?" And he, you know, walked me through you know, the 60 hour a week job, the three kids that he has, the mom that he has to go take care of because she's, you know, older and all the other responsibilities. And I said, and then he likes to go out and have fun with his wife and all that. And I said, look, here's the deal. If you work 60 hours a week, right. And you go out to dinner with your wife every single night. So two hours a night or hang out with your kids or do whatever, right. You go to sleep you sleep eight hours you spend all day Saturday and all day Sunday doing something fun, right? If you add all of that up, you still have 26 hours. And I'll actually send you the math of the show notes, but you still have 26 hours to do whatever you'd like to do. And so how are you spending that after working, after taking care of your family, after taking care of your mom, after going out and having fun and sleeping, right? You're going to sleep for a third of that week how are you spending that 26 hours and the fact is is that it's choices it's netflix it's xbox it's staring at the tv and watching the news it's you know reading or whatever but it's not necessarily advancing what you want to do and so you have to make a choice you have to prioritize you know what's important do you want to spend even a slice of that time right if you spend 2 hours of that 26 hours a week just focused on educating yourself and starting to understand how to create deal flow, you would be a year from that point, you would be eons ahead of everybody else in that, you know, who's still thinking about it.
0: Please, Scott, why we'll I will put that in the show notes. I mean, it's so critical what you just said because a lot of us are doing that and don't even realize we're doing it. Right. right. And we just use, yeah, I don't have enough time is a very convenient excuse, Easy. but what you're really saying is like, Hey, that's just not important to me. Like I'd rather do some, I'd rather do this other stuff. As you said, Netflix, you know, sleeping in whatever it is,
1: Whatever. you know, and no it, judgment, if that's what you want to do, do it, but you still have plenty of time to do the stuff that you aspire to as well.
0: Totally. Just don't say you don't have enough time. Right. Cause you do, yeah. you're just choosing to, right. to do something different. Okay. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit because sure. it is no longer 2011. Right. It's Thank 2023. God. And what does it look like now for you, for your multifamily portfolio?
1: Yeah. So Clark Street Properties grew into Clark Street Capital. When I left Silicon Valley, you know, all my buddies were like, hey, we want to invest with you. And I said, you know what? Not yet. Because you know, legitimately, that business, Clark Street, was a side hustle. It really wasn't a business. When I stopped doing what I was doing, the business stopped. And that's not a business. Right? And so you know, basically what we did, you know, being a geek, right? I'm process oriented, I'm technology oriented. And so, you know, I started to, my goal, I think was pretty haughty at the time, but my goal was to run my business, like a $10 million a year business, even though it was just one dude. Right. And, you know, eventually maybe we would get to that point and, or even if, you know, whatever, but so I started to put together processes Here's the checklist I need for when we acquire a property. Here's the stuff we need to do. When we onboard that property, here's the stuff we need to do. When we go to sell that property, here are the 14 things we've got to do, right? And so I've got checklists for everything. And then over the course of probably two or three years, I realized that it was a lot easier to buy properties and to move faster, grow faster, if I actually... Leveraged other people's money. And because I'm not independently wealthy, like I said, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I was born on home plate. There is no silver spoon in my world. You know, the basically what we did was kind of moved Clark Street properties, which was done with our internal resources. We started hiring people. I'm a huge proponent of using virtual assistants to do pretty much anything in the back office. And we talk about that if you want. But you know basically that prep you know the first couple of 3 years allowed me to then hand those checklists with a video or a training session that we would record on Zoom to someone 8000 miles away in Manila and educate them and so that they would do it would they do it exactly like I would do it no and that's okay because a lot of the times they did it better it doesn't have to be my process it just has to be right like let's get it right And so, you know, eventually we grew it into a business and to the point where, you know, if I went away for a week, everything still happened, right? I might get a couple of phone calls or questions on Microsoft Teams about, hey, how do you want to handle this? But even those have kind of gone away after, you know, it's almost six years now. So that's when we started to kind of move towards a capital, you know, partially capital, which is a syndicator and it's soon to be a private equity fund. And so that allows us to provide opportunities for accredited investors to continue to gain, you know, earn gains that are most of the time, almost all the time, you know, superior to the stock market roller coaster and, you know, and give them a bit of certainty so that they can, you know, as investors, they can do whatever they need to do with their money. Right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I love how you refer to the stock market, which is exactly that. And I don't invest in it anymore. So real estate is much more predictable in my opinion. Okay. So where can we go to learn more about what you just talked about? I know it's Clark Street, but is there a particular domain that people would go to to learn more about that?
1: So there's Street.com. So it's clarkst.com. We're Clark Street Capital on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube and and then I'm Ed Matthews for pretty much everywhere as well, if folks want to reach out to me directly.
0: Great. We'll leave that in the notes for sure, Ed. Is there a particular hey, cool. type of deal that you're looking at these days? Like, is there maybe an asset class or a size yeah. or like, what's your wheelhouse?
1: Yeah. So I love value-add C-class buildings. I tell people all the time, we buy you know crappy apartment buildings from landlords who aren't very good at their jobs. And we make them clean. We make them safe. You know, eventually we make them beautiful. And, you know, the whole idea here is to make sure that, you know, and then obviously a part of that process, we're repairing relationships with the residents. And, you know, the whole idea is to eliminate or at least to defer vacancy as long as humanly possible. And the way you do that is by serving residents really well. When they call, ask for help or call to let you know that something's not working, we call them back and we fix it, right? Right and we say please and thank you and sir and ma'am and it's our pleasure to help you and let us know if we can serve you any other way and you know it differentiates our building because not everybody deals you know with their residents like that i had a property manager once tell me you know it's a dominance play you have to be the dominant alpha and i'm like no, you don't you have to be a human being and treat them with respect and do what you say you're going to do it's got nothing to do with you know who's the alpha in the room And so, you know, basically what we do is we buy value-add C-class properties, both suburban and just outside the city limits Mm -hmm. here in Connecticut. And that's where my flipping background kind of gets, you know, I scratch that itch because, you know, we'll go in and we're going to new kitchens and new bathrooms and new flooring and new lighting systems and, you know, new electric, new plumbing, if we find, you know, anything that doesn't work quite well. And, you know, it reduces our, you know, by doing that, we're basically creating a new building with an old envelope, right? Yep. And so it reduces our maintenance and repair bills way down. And also, the residents tend to stay, you know, more than 2x longer than, you know, the average tenancy here in Connecticut. So, you know, we defer all of that make ready work. We defer all of the commissions we have to pay to realtors to lease the unit again. It's a win win, right? Everybody, from you know the residents win because they have a place that's clean and safe and they're proud to live there. We and our investors win because our buildings are more profitable because we don't have to spend the money on make readies and lease ups. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: All from that one little tweak of just paying attention to who's just working. be a human
1: being. One thing.
0: Yeah, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. Are you at liberty to say like that attitude or that approach? What that's like? What would be a normal vacancy rate? Typical vacancy rate. For the alpha, as you say, as they said, what is yours?
1: Yeah, great question. So the alpha is probably here in Connecticut. People say it's five percent. I think it's closer to seven or eight mm-hmm. percent vacancy. You know, our vacancies range anywhere from two to three percent on an annual basis. Pretty good.
0: That's practically zero. I mean, that's almost zero. That's unheard of. So
1: you know, our goal from a service perspective is when people leave, they're leaving because their family's growing or they're moving out of state or you know they're buying a house that's our goal you know we don't get there 100% but that's the goal is you know that their lives are in a transition period and they're moving on yeah. and that's great we wish them well
0: i love it do you have a number of units that you're trying to get to in terms of a goal
1: or the goal is 1000 units by 2025 the end of 2025 so one of the ways we're doing that is we're expanding our business into other regions because there's you know, Connecticut is a, most of the properties here are anywhere from, you know, a duplex up to about 25 units. There's really not large complexes here. And the ones that are here have been owned by the same families for, you know, 50 years and they aren't selling them to me. So we have to go somewhere else. So we're expanding the business and, you know, that part of the business in terms of, you know, heading South is more focused on class B, properties where it's more of a management value add play rather than, and obviously cosmetics and, you know, there's relationships to repair and grow and all that. But, you know, we don't take on, we're not going to take on a lot of the, you know, really heavy construction type projects that we take on here, you know, down there. So we're focused on Kentucky and North Carolina. Nice. Like it.
0: Okay. Well, I don't want to wrap this up without talking about your podcast because. Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. You know, and and so let's talk a little bit about the show. I think it's something that you do to correct me if I'm wrong to kind of mentor and, and give back and educate.
1: That is exactly it. I've been very, very fortunate that I've had, you know, half a dozen people who either took a liking to me and wanted to help or took pity on me or somewhere in between. Right. Yeah. You know, they were instrumental in helping me figure out how to, you know, a, what I wanted to do in this space. And then also more importantly, you know, how to scale the business and grow it so that, you know, it would support our family and then beyond hopefully. And so, you know, they didn't want anything for me. I mean, the most expensive thing I ever gave a mentor was breakfast at a local broken egg joint. Right. I mean, it's not, you know, they didn't want, you know, piece of the company or anything like that. So the way that I repay them is I pay it forward. And so I tell people I'm a you know at the local RIA I tell people I'm, I'm a cheap date. You know the fact is pick up the phone and call me or email me and or reach out on my website. And for the price of a cup of coffee, which most times I will buy myself, I'll answer any questions you have and help you get going. You know it's amazing how few people take me up on that. Right? The first time I ever made that, I did it off the cuff, and my partner was like, "What are you doing?" Right? Because he was he goes, "There goes your schedule." You know i think the room was about 200 people and i think i had two people call me and so you know one of the things that i love about well you I, know, I don't you cast, to stop. i'm
0: gonna stop you there why do you think that is because that fear. just blows my mind yeah
1: fear it blows my mind too right i mean because i've flipped dozens and dozens and dozens of houses i own dozens and dozens and dozens of multi family units you know we've run pretty large construction projects We managed through COVID. We took property management in house. There's a lot of stuff I can answer questions about, right? We have a short term rental portfolio, a tiny one. I know how to fix a roof. I know how to fix everything, right? So it's interesting that, yeah, it was a very small number. So, you know, the RIA is obviously the one local here has an excellent coaching program. And so I wasn't necessarily involved in that because I had this business. And so, you know, my job was to kind of mentor and throw an arm around people when we were you know, at the monthly meetings and in between, right? And so I left the RIA probably about six, eight months ago, just because it was taking up so much time that I really needed to focus on this business. We were shutting down our flipping business. And my whole focus for 2023 was focus, right? Do one thing really well. Part of that means I had to leave the RIA, which hurt. I miss it. But so the Real Estate Underground, my podcast kind of scratches that itch, right? It started off as a teeny tiny podcast that probably a couple hundred people would listen to. And, you know, now it's grown quite a bit. And we've actually discovered recently that it's evolving into a national audience, but which is really cool. But it's still the same thing, right? You know, I interview real estate investors like you and, you know, Chris Pree and Zach and, you know, all of the other folks that are you know in this business we've recorded i think we've recorded like 90 or 92 episodes or something like that
0: yeah
1: and it's it's a blast because i get to ask them you know these are people that are again reading the same book right but they're chapters ahead of me in most cases so i get to ask them all the questions that hopefully the audience is like wow i'd really like to know about this whatever it is and so you know it's educational in format and you know i ask a whole bunch of really hard questions to answer and Almost all the time, the guest comes through with gold nuggets in terms of how to better manage their business, whether that's you know multifamily flipping or whatever else. And so that's my way of giving back to the mentors that helped me is to hopefully be a mentor to more people.
0: Yeah, and that's the real estate underground podcast. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's and, it. and I've checked out a few episodes, folks. It's great. I would highly recommend listening to that. Thank and you. And Ed has so graciously invited me to be on. So you know, uh, forthcoming.
1: Yeah, looking forward to
0: it. Um, Yeah, me too. And I guess as we wrap up here, Dad, I mean, this has been great. I'm just, you know, we're super aligned in a lot of ways. And, you know, I just, I love the feedback. So I know the listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this. But what would be maybe something that you would give to the listener in terms of like, what's the first step? They're in a W-2, maybe similar, you know, to your situation and to mine, and they just feel like they're going to be trapped there forever. Again, we were taught this certain way. Go to school, get a job, you know, right. We'll stay there forever and hopefully have enough money to retire and live till to you die. Right on wood. Right. You know, but they know that there's something more for them. They right. just they have all these things, this laundry list of fear items and excuses. Like what would be the one thing that you would say to them if you were in the room with them right now?
1: So it's really difficult and understand that, you know, 90 plus percent of the folks that are in that conundrum, won't do anything. They'll just stay on the path. And that's okay too, right? But the fact is, is that I fundamentally believe that it's impossible to create the wealth and time freedom working a W-2 job. It just, I see a W-2 job having been laid off, right? That I see a job as higher risk than you know going out and starting my own business. So I think the the first thing you have to decide, how do you want to live your life for the next, you know, however many years you have on this earth. And then once you decide if being an entrepreneur, whether it's real estate or some other type of business, you need to educate yourself, right? You need to understand, you know, how the business works. And the cool part about it is there are a lot of folks like me and Brian out there that will, for the price of a cup of coffee or a phone call, will tell you everything you want to know, right? And, you know, there's higher level. Sh- strategic type stuff you can do and that's when you go hire a coach but you know in order to buy that first house all you need is a mentor so find one go to your rea go to a local meetup make friends figure out you know where you want to be in, in the space whether flipping or wholesaling or buy and hold or multifamily or whatever right and then go make friends and learn from those friends right serve them and then along the way they'll help you get where you want to go. Guaranteed. Yeah. Wow. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Go out there, everyone, and decide how you want to live your life. Step one. Be intentional. I wrote that down. Ed, appreciate you. I look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Absolutely. And everyone, make it a great day. Hey there, friends. Thanks for tuning in. That was a great episode with Ed. I took a ton of notes on that one. Hope you did too. Make sure you check out his podcast and go to his website, And if you want to learn more about real estate investing, you can get in touch with me. I'm not a multifamily expert, but I can help you. I can help you get started. I can help you overcome some of the fear and the doubt, the time excuses, because believe me, I lived it. I've done all the stuff that we talked about in the episode prior to exiting my W-2 and starting my own real estate business. Okay, so just message me. You can go to W2PrisonBreak.com. You can email me at Brian at W2PrisonBreak.com. I'd love to hear from you and give you some resources, give you a tip or two on how to move forward, how to take the first step. Ed Gates, some great advice in the episode. And the only favor I would ask of you is if you found this episode to be of value, hopefully it served you, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody who might be in a similar situation and they want more time back. You know, they want more time. They don't want to miss their kids growing up super important so do me that favor do them that favor because ed just shared a very vulnerable story and hey we're not better than you we're not much different than you we just did a few things to get to where we are and you can do the same